30 seconds to air. Where do you think we're at? Flowers. Anyone have the promo for the show notes? Wait, where's the Fiji water? Is this, this isn't, is this tap water? 15 seconds. Somebody get the cat. I can't drink tap Grab water. Can, can, can someone tell Joe's mom to stop vacuuming? It's not hard to find. Has anybody this seen feet. my hair gel? Artesian water, natural. Quiet on the set, live in three, two. You know, did you file a permit with the city to record down here? File a permit? Wait, you're still here? Yes, sir. Tex-Mex. Here at your service, president of the Texarkana, Texas Chamber of Commerce. Now, I know for a fact, sir, that permit number 780 and 2 is required if you're going to operate a podcast in a residential area like this one. And based on that look in your eye, it appears to me that you, sir, are not in possession of such a permit. That's going to be a heck of a fine right there. Heck of a fine. Would this help with that permit thing? What is that? It's it's ten bucks. Are you trying to bribe a city official? <laughs> no, no. Hey, I just wondered if you dropped that. Uh, I I just found it on the floor. Mm, I see how this works. Well, this is what we're gonna do. Oh boy, I did drop this ten dollars. You hear? And and you start making podcasts that shines on this community in the right light. You got that? Yes, sir. Now I'll stand over here. You just get to podcasting. Will do. Uh, All right, Doug. Let's fire it up. Live from Joe's mom's basement in gorgeous Texarkana, Texas, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and like so many people in 2020, last year I packed up the El Camino and headed back to small-town living. Have you also contemplated a big move? On today's show, we'll debate pros and cons of looking for a new opportunity. Say hello to a woman who recently moved herself from the Afford Anything podcast, Paula Pant. And he's a moving veteran. In fact, years ago, he moved deep under the streets of L.A. to his secret bunker from LenPenzo.com. It's Larry the Cable Guy. Nah, he's busy on an install. It's just Len Penzo. And last but not least, he knows all about moving from Michigan to Texas to hang out in the basement. It's O.G. And during our Friday FinTech segment, we'll learn about a company that's bringing alternative investments to the masses. Michael Weiss from Yield Street is here to tell us all about it. Later, we'll magnify a lucky listener's money. In fact, double, because Kevin has two questions for us. Hey, Joe, is he allowed to do that? Well, I guess we'll let it slide because we are in the wild, wild west of Texas after all. And we'll put a nice little bow on this show when I ask you my Texarkana pride-filled trivia question. And now, here comes a guy who's hoping the residents of Texarkana won't run him out of town again. It's Joe Salcihai. Hey, and we are so happy to be back in Texarkana with the crew 
and representing with our new theme music. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, a guy who's also very happy to be in the big city on the border. It's Mr. OG. And for the uh, first time in my podcasting life, I have nothing to say. <laughs> you can't. He, he's, I have no I have no idea what to say with the whole I, the, 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 there's new rules we've got to follow. He's standing right over know. there. Say something. It's a beautiful it, town. It's a great day. It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, it smells nice. Uh, it doesn't at all smell like the other side of Texarkana, <laughs> which is much worse. The grass is greener. It's very clear that this is the better side of Texarkana. It is. I don't know that that's going to win the day. But somebody we're going to call in to help us win the day, who recently moved to an undisclosed location from the Afford Anything podcast, Paula Pants here. For all you know, I could be in Texarkana right now. And I've got to say, when it comes to Texarkana, the the attractions that you have, the Cupcake Museum, the Marble Museum, the Sunsets Museum, the Museum of Museums. I've never uh, seen any of those things, Paula. They all exist in my head. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, they're all here. Yes. Chamber of Commerce guy's nodding. He's like, yes, just run with it. Exactly. Exactly. It's part of the glory of Texarkana. You have uh, so much that you can imagine at empty space and ample parking to do it all. I, I, I Wow. That's an 11. That is amazing. <laughs> and a guy who's at least 11 feet underground, Mr. Len Penzo's here. I was about ready to grab a ticket to Texarkana when you said Cupcake Museum, Paula, but then um, you just spoiled it for me. It's the Cupcake Museum of the Mind. Ah, well, very good. You know, it's a good day for me today because I, I got today in the uh, in the mail, I got my coupon for my free Ortega taco shells. We had had dinner a while back and we opened up our Ortega shells and they were all crushed. So I actually wrote to the company. You know, it ever says on the on the back of the the box it says you got any comments on our product? I, you know, email us. So I emailed them and I told them I got I think it was uh, 7 out of the 12 shells were crushed and I told them I was very disappointed. And within a day they got back to me, a very nice person named Alex from the Ortega company. It's actually I think B&G is the distributor, but he got back to me. He was very apologetic and he promised he was going to send me a coupon for free taco shells and I got them today. So, thank you Ortega. You're an upstanding company. Oh, gee, Len Penzo is the only person I know who can tell that story. And there's like no punchline at the end. Just, <laughs> I'm sitting here waiting for the Ortega joke to come and there just is none. He's just got this heartfelt. Height. Yeah. This, this I'm happy. And then I got taco shells. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what? In just a second, we're going to talk about maybe you could move and live next to the factory. Len, which, which could be great. We're going to talk about moving and things you need to think about if you decide to move either to a lower cost of living area like beautiful Texarkana or move for a different opportunity. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. 
Insure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get ready to talk. Moving. We got OG here. We got Len here. We got Paula here. Let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our story today, the inspiration for today's discussion comes to us from Travel and Leisure. This uh, piece um, that I was inspired by comes from Jonah Bear. Jonah writes, I moved from the city to the country here are six things I wish I knew. I know, Paula, you didn't move from city to country, but you certainly moved. Any of these things, uh, why you decided to stay in the city? Well, you know, I've moved many times in my life. I grew up in Cincinnati. Then I moved to Boulder, Colorado. Then I moved outside of the country for two years. Then I moved to Atlanta. Uh, then I moved to Las Vegas. And so I'm, I've always kind of been on the move So I agree with many of his points. So being outside is transformative. Absolutely. You'll want some outdoor gear and you'll want to make. mm -hmm. Let's just start with that one. Let's take these maybe one at a time and start with being outdoors. I mean, you can get outdoors in a city though, Paula, right? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. In fact, some of my favorite outdoor spots are in cities. Like anytime that I travel, the first place that I go is to the park, like the the big anchor park of any major city, you know, in Bangkok, there's Lumpini Park, for example. In Atlanta, there's that's the one. I, park. That's the one I always go to when I want to get I away. I know, right? <laughs> and there's just beautiful, beautiful outdoor space. Plus, on top of that, it within about a one hour proximity of many major cities, you've got hiking trails in, in many places. There are hiking trails. There are oceans. There are forests. There are mountains. You know, you go an hour outside of Seattle or Denver or Boston, there's just gorgeous, gorgeous outdoor scenery. And so I don't want to create a false dichotomy between being in the city and being outdoors. I think that, in fact, they're they're highly compatible. Let's stay with this outdoors theme. Oh, gee, when you moved to Texas, was being outdoors and being in the area where you live, was that an important consideration in your move? Now, moving to Texas outdoors, let's see, uh, I was interested in the outdoors because I was tired of the cold weather. So when it comes to being outdoors, outdoors more often then, yeah, but like, like hiking and so, I mean, we move from one metropolitan area to another metropolitan area that, you, you know, you can't tell the difference of any town USA from the subdivisions, I don't think, but um, yeah, but you kind of can. I mean, look at as an example, Paula spent some time in the Denver area. Uh, so you've got the mountains at your back door. Len's got the ocean whenever he wants to head that way. So there's those differences of what you've got. I've got the mountains an hour away here. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, and it's warm, you know, we moved because of the weather. I mean, that was it. Just warmth. It it was just soul crushing cold in Michigan. And I was like, I'm out. So I'm either going to spend the summers or spend the winters in Florida by myself or my family can come with me. So we decided to move to Texas because 
my wife had a job uh, that she could transfer to there. So that made the transition a lot easier. But ours was... No mention, was, <laughs> no mention of the basement being here at all. And oh, and we, we have a podcast that's based here too. That, well, that was a consideration, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe. Len, Len... Uh, <laughs> Who knows? Len Outdoors, are you an ocean guy? I mean, why do you stay in why do you stay in the LA area? Is it job? Is it family? Is it uh is it the climate? Yes. Like, it's the yes. taxes. Yes, keep going. Keep going. That's three for three. You've ticked three of the boxes. It's the Yeah, it's, it's I, you know what? You know, I'm a native. This is where I was born. That's where I was raised. I the, the weather's fantastic. My profession, there's not a lot of places that I can go. I'm kind of limited by where the corporations are really. Did you see that change though with COVID? Uh, can new people that work yeah, at your company yes. now, can they work, live anywhere? Yes. Yeah. Almost. It's almost not all of them, but it depends. It depends if you have to work in a lab or not. So, but yes, many, many people can pretty much work from home. Yes. That has changed. Yeah. You could move to Texarkana. Len. I could move. I could almost move to Texarkana. Yes, that that is absolutely correct. But now, yeah, that's why that's why I'm here. I'm not. Uh, but I will say this: the gentleman who wrote this said he moved to the Berkshires, right? The Berkshires. Yeah. yeah. I had no. I, I never even heard of that before. So then I got on the map to see where the Berkshires were, and guess what? I had been to the Berkshires many times. As a matter of fact, I've been there for work. I Pittsfield, Massachusetts area. Yes, I've I've been. Uh, and Pittsfield's kind of a, a town that's kind of seen better days, but it's beautiful around. It is just absolutely gorgeous. And, and so now I learned something that I've been there many times and I've uh, never knew it was called the Berkshires. All of our Pittsfield uh, fans, <laughs> send your hate mail to Len at lenpenzo.com. I didn't say it. Len said it. Uh, the, the Berkshires it's are beautiful around there. It's just, it's just, there's a lot of businesses that had closed around Pittsfield. It is. But Paula, is, is the outdoors a big reason why you move someplace? I mean, I think it's one of many reasons, but again, I think that you you can access the outdoors from anywhere. Uh, I think the bigger question is what type of outdoors do you want? That's do you exactly want what I mean. Is there a specific yeah. type of outdoors that you're looking for and that's why you'd move to a place? For me personally? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I personally um, don't care that much about the ocean. I've never lived near an ocean. I've, I've never, you know, there are, there are the people who say, oh, I've only ever lived on a coastline. And I very much did the opposite. I was born in Nepal, which is a landlocked country. Grew up in Ohio, also might have, landlocked. Uh, by the way, Nepal might have a mountain or two. Exactly. Well, so on, Ohio has Lake Erie. Uh, I, I grew up Beautiful at the Ohio-Indiana-Kentucky border. Yes, she was, I know. I know. Yeah. Otuckiana. So yeah, I grew up in Ohio, which was landlocked. I went to college in Colorado, landlocked. Lived in Atlanta, landlocked. So, you know, when I moved to Las Vegas, and I explained it to a lot of people by saying, hey... Uh, Vegas approximates a lot of the Southern California lifestyle in terms of 300 days of sunshine a year, palm trees, slow pace of living, slow pace of life. You know, I was like, it, it approximates a lot of that lifestyle just without the ocean. And a lot of people responded by saying, yeah, but don't you miss the ocean? Don't you want it? I mean, for me personally, no. Like to me, mountains are far more important being Nepalese. That's just in my blood. It's kind of, it's the Nepalese way. But do you feel it when you're away from the mountains? Hmm. <laughs> I do not feel it when I'm away from the mountains, but I will say that I've heard that city skylines are essentially man-made mountains. It evokes some of that same feeling when you look at a In skyline of tall buildings. Mountains of people? Yeah, it's it's the mount, It's like architectural mountains. It's man-made mountains. And so I will say that I need to be either near mountains or near 
skyscrapers. I need to be near one of the two. The first thing on this list, and we were talking about this before we hit record, OG, is uh, that you're going to need a car or two. And you thought that was pretty funny, but there's there are people in Chicago that I know that are in their mid-40s, haven't had a car in forever, don't need one. People in New York that I know that don't own a car, don't really need one. It ends up, they end up paying for parking a lot. Uh, this idea about small town living and, and needing a car. It doesn't really match the uh, the thing that it just kind of made me laugh. I, I, I just don't understand how it, how it got to the point where he actually moved without a car and then realized like the title is I moved from the city. Here's six things I wish I knew. Like it didn't come up in the thought process of like, I'm packing all my stuff and I'm moving into the country and it never crossed your mind. Like, how would I get to the store? Like until you were there, like, dang it. I wish I knew I needed a car. <laughs> oh, not a big I'm planner. Gonna, I'm going to write an article about this. <laughs> Number one, I wish I needed a, knew I needed a car. Get a I wish I knew I was going to have to drive places. <laughs> At Travel and Leisure goes, said I, <laughs> Travel and Leisure goes, Bill, that's the type of hard-hitting journalist that we need around here. The editor was like, I know that you, you've got this great article about four things you wish you knew, but that just says, we need to punch it up a little bit. Can you come up with two more? He's like, well, I needed a car. Oh, yeah, yeah, use that one. Lead with that. That'll you think the guy, you, you think the guy went to downtown Pittsfield and said, hey, where's the subway? Yeah. <laughs> he pulled up Uber on his phone. <laughs> well, no, they point to the place where you make sandwiches, like right next door. There it is. There's the subway, right? It's right there. Yes. It's there. Six inches uh, yeah. foot long. I mean, if you're moving uh, into a new area and you have not figured out the transportation system associated with that area, so maybe it goes both ways, right? You move to Chicago, you have a car or two, and you go, oh, turns out I didn't need one. I wish I knew I could have got rid of my car. That would make more sense to me than the other way. But, but. I got to tell you, the second thing on here, moving back to Texarkana from Detroit, the second piece on here is get used to driving a lot. When we moved here the first time, a friend of mine, when I was asking him about town, one of the first people I met in town, I said, uh, I said, yeah, uh, around rush hour, like, like what, what areas do I kind of stay away from? And he looks at me with this incredulous look at it, like rush hour, the hell are you talking about? He's like, yeah, if you're at Richmond Road and I-30 around uh, 5 p.m., you might wait two lights. So that's about it. But then he had a rule, which was exactly the opposite of this. It, it, his rule was, it's either less than eight minutes to get there or you don't need to go. Like that is, that is the rule. And seriously, in Texarkana, everything <laughs> is at least an hour and a half. It's either less than eight minutes or it's more than an hour and a half. It's, it's going to be one or the other, but Len for you, I mean, just the cost of going out to dinner with the honeybee, I think is going to be 45 minutes round trip or more being in uh, LA traffic. Uh, yeah, that's why, but there's a lot of local places for dinner, but where it does come in is, is your commute. So, so I'd say work, most people yeah. who... Yeah. So for work, uh, you know, my commute was 40 miles one way. So 80 miles a day uh, before I was working from home, began working from home. But and that is hard driving, man. It is. It's long. It's not like I don't know about Texarkana. I'm sure you can drive 40 miles in, in 20 minutes, probably, or, or 10 minutes if you really wanted to, you know. But for me, 40 miles, if I didn't leave super early from home, that could take me an hour and a half. An hour and a half, one way. So three hours a day just of my time commuting. And it, it it's hard. It's very hard. You do have to 
get used to that. The one thing I did miss when we first moved here was a bunch of the different, you know, national restaurant chains that they had or a big, huge variety of restaurants to go to. But I don't know, man, when I was in Detroit, OG, I didn't go to a ton of different places like the handful of places we have here. Just, I don't know. And I'll tell you when I go to the, and and you'll know, I live in a little town now when we go to the city, the city, I appreciate going to those more. Do you find yourself going to all the cool places you can go to in a city just because you live there? Well, no, because you go to the same things that you like. I mean, that's what we do. We find the places that we like to go to and then go to them again. And in, in Dallas, I mean, you could go out to eat for every meal forever and never run out of places to go. You know, I mean, there's just so many restaurants and so many places to eat. So I would rather personally have an experience that I know I can count on than try something new and be disappointed. Paula, somebody thinking about making the move to a small town that maybe has the opportunity from where Len works or Microsoft, where my son works, you can now live anywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. What, what would you caution them on and what would be the upside to doing that? What would you like best? Well, the first piece of advice that I would give them would be to think through their day-to-day life and to map out what that's going to be like. Because it can be easy to get caught up in the, oh, I'm going to go hiking or I'm going to go boating on the lake. But I mean, how often are you going to do that? Like when it, you know, when it comes to your day-to-day, your, your, at least your Monday through Friday, what's your routine? Is it going to be wake up, take the kids to daycare, come back home or come back to your home office, work for a handful of hours, maybe do a grocery run in the middle of the day, go to a gym to like go, you know, run on the treadmill for 45 minutes, come back home and prepare dinner. What is that actually going to be like? And how will your new location facilitate or put obstacles into that lifestyle? Because if it's the case that you live a far commute from the nearest gym and the nearest grocery store, that's going to have a much bigger impact in your actual daily life experience than that hike or that boat ride that you can occasionally take. So that's the first thing that I would tell them to do. In terms of advantages versus disadvantages, I mean, certainly you have more space. So think about how you want to use it. Like, have you always wanted to build a YouTube studio in a spare room? Speaking from experience, that is something I would like to do, but I don't have the space for it, but that's okay. You know, so how are you going to optimize the use of that space? But also, It isn't like, oh, I have space. How should I use it? It's what is the purpose of my life? And does having this additional space facilitate that purpose or not? Yeah. So first find the purpose of your life is what I'm saying. Yeah. Start with the purpose and have the, have the place drive the purpose. Exactly. Len, if you were going to leave the Los Angeles area, what would you be looking for? A lot less density, obviously. I'd like to have neighbors who are maybe uh, an acre away from me, just less density of, of people. But of course, I'd, I still want to keep my climate. So I'm spoiled. I, I'm, I'm a baby. I can't handle cold weather and I can't handle hot, humid weather either. So I'm kind of limited here to the uh, parts of the West Coast. You're trapped. So You're trapped. Yeah, I am trapped. I'm trapped by my own. Uh, but, my you've, own but you've uh, never thought about moving away to a lower cost. I mean, Paul was joking earlier about you like overpaying for everything and the high taxes there. A lot of people well, move from I, California when they retire for those very reasons. Well, I will say this. I've got a real estate guy who's actively looking at places for me and he sends me every week, actually a couple times a week, uh, places in the central coast of California. So 
I'm looking there. Um, I am considering it, but uh, I have no plans at the moment to do that. Why would that be, though? I mean, I mean, seriously, because there's people thinking this thought right now, maybe considering that type of a move. Why move versus why not move? Well, in California with, with Proposition 13, it's um, if you've been in your home a long time and I've been in this home for 20 years, my taxes, my property taxes are quite low, actually. They, they only go up uh, 1% per year. So if I were to move and I was to buy a new home up there, my tax basis would be would be huge. So, so right now my t- I'm paying $5,000 a year in property taxes here in Southern California, which is absolutely – Phenomenal. If I was to move to the central coast and buy a house, uh, say for, I don't know, even a half million dollars or, or, you know, that would be $10,000 right off the, right off the bat. But so what's the double my property taxes immediately. What's the upside though? I mean, why would you do make that move? Well, just a change of scenery. Uh, Like I said, less density of population. It's beautiful country up there. In my opinion, the climate's a little milder. It's actually more San Diego-ish, I think, at least along the coast. So, you know, it's just, it's just, um, I just like that area. So it's just be a change of pace. I found a few things when we moved uh, friends. People don't think about friends and family when they move. And that surprised me. I don't know, Paula, if leaving Vegas and your friends there, if you feel that at all, just not being face to face with them. Honestly, everybody kind of left at the start of COVID. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that, and I've noticed a lot of times whenever I've left a city, it's because, or it coincides with my whole social group also leaving. You know, when I left Atlanta, it was at the same time that my roommates, who I was very close friends with, also left. Uh, One was a couple that the, the guy got a job at Rice University, and so they left to go there. And then the other was uh, a roommate. He was Pakistani and his visa didn't get renewed. So he had to move back to Pakistan. So my closest friends slash roommates all left. So that seemed like a good time to leave Atlanta. And the same thing with Vegas. I mean, COVID hit, everybody scattered to the winds. And so then why, why stick around? Oh, gee, let's end this discussion with you. When you're talking to clients about moving from one area to another, what are some of the surprises that they see? Well, I think firstly, it's important to recognize that one of the nice things about our country, and I know this is this is different in different places, but you can make a list of all the stuff that's really important to you and probably find 10 of the 20 things on the list. You know, you can have weather be one of them. You can have cost of living be one of them. You can have access to water or lower housing costs or whatever you want it to be. So there's a lot of different things that you can put on your list and you might be able to get some of them or, or many of them. But it's important, I think, to be kind of honest. I, I like what Paula said Paula said about thinking about like what your day-to-day is going to look like. A lot of times we go to different places, we go there on vacation. And that's not how real life works. You know, when you go to Breckenridge, you're like, this place is amazing. I can ski every day. They have like hot and toddies for me when I'm done. My boots get dried out. It's wonderful. But like if you move to Breckenridge, you have to do work. You have to have a job and go get food and that sort of stuff. So I think you have to experiment with what the regular day-to-day is going to look like. 
Managing your money has typically been complicated, time-consuming, and just another reason to bite your nails. But for half a million investors who have accounts with M1 Finance, investing is smarter, more automated, and easier than ever. Do yourself a favor this year and check out M1. This finance super app is designed to be personalized for your needs, and their automation tools make it simpler to reach your financial goals. With M1, you can invest how you want with access to fractional shares and unmatched automation for free. You can borrow against your investments at super low rates too, just two to three and a half percent. Use this flexible portfolio line of credit for anything like investing more in your portfolio, refinancing other loans, or funding large projects. M1 ties it together in a free digital account so you have more flexibility and smoother money movements. Just keep in mind, borrowing involves higher risks and rates can vary. Visit M1 Finance, that's M the number one finance.com forward slash SB to sign up and you'll get $30 to invest because you're a stacker. Again, that's visit m1finance.com forward slash SB to sign up. You get $30 to invest. Terms and conditions apply. Any of you guys familiar with Yield Street? Yes, no. Nope. No. Yield Street's been around for a while, which is why I asked that question. They are a company that helps people invest in alternative asset classes, usually, that historically have been open to just people that can, you know, throw a million or two at something like Mr. Penzo can. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, maybe, maybe not. So for people looking for less correlation, uh, rounding out their portfolio with some other things besides the usual stocks, bonds, real estate. Michael Weiss coming down the basement to tell us a little bit about Yield Street. And I'm my dad, Shortwave Radio. It's my new friend, Michael Weiss. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Super excited to uh, be able to contribute back. I love your show. I listen a lot and um, let's have some fun. Well, I'm glad you could hang out and talk a little Yield Street with me. I have this vision in my head of you two co-owners, like your old friends, you're out at lunch one day and you guys, one of you go, you know what? I got this crazy idea. Let's talk alternative investments. I'm sure it didn't happen that way, but tell me how you guys decided to start the company. Uh, you couldn't be more wrong, actually. Uh, so I'm sort of the cliche Jewish kid, grew up on Long Island. And Melinda is an Indian immigrant who came to the U.S. as a student looking to grow and to be part of America and uh, to have a better financial future. So that's definitely not how it started. So my background is really all about private credit. And I had built a reputation in the specialty finance market and alternative investments. And as my business grew and I got more experience on the capital raising side and experience with investors and retail and high net worth investors looking to participate, what I realized was that the system was fundamentally broken, right? We were spending way too much time with institutions trying to raise capital. And we had all this retail money trying to come in, but we couldn't service that money. We couldn't administrate it. It was just too much flow, inefficient, too many dinners and lunches, et cetera. And at the time, you saw like Prosper and Lending Club and other platforms really start to leverage technology. And I'm like going out and talking to my friends who are doctors and lawyers and dentists. And I'm telling them about the deals I'm doing. And I'm like, guys, you're welcome to invest. And they're like, great. How much do I need? And I'm like, uh, a quarter million is fine. And you know, I was in my own bubble. They look at me and they're like, dude, I'm like, I'm literally out of dental school like next week. And so 
I asked them, okay, well, what are you investing in? And their opportunity set was terrible, right? And the return profile was, was non-existent. And so I got really passionate about wanting to solve this issue. There's a personal story in there as well where different people that I was very close to had experienced the classic story of saving, you know, as much money as they could. They put it in your typical wirehouses and Charles Schwab's of the world, et cetera. And 2008 hits, they see their market portfolio tank, you know, 40, 50 percent. They get super nervous, as you know, many people who aren't professional investors would. They pull out and you can never really recover. Right. And I wanted to see diversification in my portfolio. In part, that's what led me to alts. In any event, I get super excited about building a business that can bring access to people. But I had one big problem. I knew nothing about technology. I'm a Wall Street guy and I understood investments and I understood investors and investor portfolios. And that's what I did. And so I got really passionate about it. I do talk to a friend who's also an investor. And I'm like, hey, like this idea is amazing. It's transformative. It's going to change the entire paradigm of how people interact with their financial services. Like you got to go do it. And he turns around and laughs and says, no, you got to do it. And I got the perfect guy for you. And he introduces me to Melinda. I meet Melinda for the first time. And the guy is literally pitching me my pitch from the consumer's perspective. And I was like, this is incredible. So it was it was kind of love at first sight where I come from a background that has strong rigor and culture at the organization to focus on asset quality, on asset performance, on investor portfolio, et cetera. And Melinda is always thinking about how do I leverage data and technology to solve for big problems? And so we built Yield Street because it was something that we were passionate about for ourselves, for our families, and for our friends. And we knew that it could be so much bigger. That's how we got started. Michael, when you talk about alternative investments, though, give our family at Stacky Benjamins like an idea of what type of investments these are. What does an alternative investment look like to somebody who's just used to using an index fund all the time? So, Joe, I love that question because I've always felt that the term alt is kind of like a catch-all phrase outside of public equities and bonds. So it's good to be able to be a little bit more specific about it. So to date at Yield Street, we've stood up a number of specific asset classes that we help people invest in. And so when you think about it and you think about Yield Street's products, you're looking at art finance. So we bought a company called Athena Art Finance from Carlisle. It's uh, funding blue chip art as debt. And then you're looking at legal finance. So we fund law firms and commercial cases. We interviewed, by the way, the Artthena people. Awesome. How'd uh, your audience like it? Oh, they're fantastic. I mean, I love that whole idea, right? And art is such an opaque thing, as you know. And when a company like Arthena could make it much less opaque and also be diversified in an area that so many people are passionate about, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah. And I love the idea that if you want to be able to participate in the art market and be able to invest in it, you don't have to take equity risk, but you can take debt-like risk at you know, 50% of the value. And so your basis is pretty interesting and well-protected. So I, I like that business a lot. In addition to that, we have Marine. So if you think about it, over 90% of goods that you interact with a day, whether it's clothing or food, your cars, et cetera, they all, they all come to you via ships. And so that's a great asset class that, that we're pretty big in. You have real estate. We focus in real estate on commercial bridge loans, as well as single family rental strategies. But our goal there is to partner with larger existing lenders and we co-invest on those transactions here at Yield Street. And then we make it available for other people to participate as well as consumer finance and commercial finance strategies. So if you're thinking about supply chain finance, inventory finance, receivable finance, things like that, that's what you can access here on Yield Street today. 
So what is the mission then, Michael? How do you make all these things that historically, as you said earlier, you know, hey, give me a quarter million dollars and I can get into them. How do you guys then make that available for the average person? Sure. So I think that simply put, right, we want to enable millions of people to generate income and put them on a path towards financial independence. The reason that Melinda and I and the, the broader team at large are excited about it is because the fact of the matter is that access to and distribution of these investments have been fundamentally broken, which we believe is a cause that leads to an income and opportunity gap. And just like you mentioned a minute ago, and I was saying before, hey, quarter million or more, you know, people throw out those numbers as if that's normal for the average person, and it's not. And we have to find a way to help people get the same opportunity that the wealthiest and largest institutions are getting. The way we can do it is through technology today. I don't think this opportunity could have existed 10 years ago, right? If, if an institution is doing a $100 million deal, how can they practically, efficiently, with a good user experience, fractionalize that opportunity for a few thousand dollars? I don't think that, that would have been possible or existed in the past. But with technology and with the updated regulations, Yield Street and other companies like, like us are able to offer you the chance to participate in these institutional quality products. I want to dive into exactly how that works in just a second, but you know, there might be somebody listening, Michael, who goes, well, what am I getting that I don't get with the S&P 500? Like you talk about institutions, but you know, my uncle Bill is not an institution and he's got the S&P 500. Is it better diversification and then, then maybe rounding out the portfolio better? Is it a bump up in return? Tell me how this fits. So I think there's a broader backdrop here that we should address, right, which is, and you, you sort of just touched on it here. We believe that what the opportunity set currently available to retail is broken. And the way I think about it is, is pretty simple. You have the 60-40 model, which we think is dead. And I'm happy to say, explain why. And then think about like the private placement model. The image that I get here is like a boiler room. You have a bunch of brokers calling you or you meet some guy in a golf club or a synagogue or a restaurant or a friend of a friend and they're hustling you into a deal. There isn't a tremendous amount of transparency. You don't really understand what the deal is. They give you a 200-page PPM. Fees are difficult to understand what they are. And then on the public side, on the 60-40 model, the way the generation before us invested and the opportunities they had, much more companies were coming public and giving people the opportunity to participate in the growth and the convexity that those companies would build. We don't have those opportunities as much as they did today. And so we need to be asking ourselves, does that really still make sense to be the right approach for investing? And so the reason I talk about institutions is if you look at some of the largest institutions, endowments and foundations, they have almost up to 60% of their assets in alternative investments and consumers have 6%. So zooming out for a second, I got to ask myself, hey, these organizations have massive piles of money. They have the most well-paid professionals focused on making the right investment decisions, and those decisions are leading them to put up to 60% of their cash in alts. Shouldn't the rest of us be following? Shouldn't we be asking ourselves, hey, why are they moving in that direction and we're not? And I think people are asking themselves, and I think that people are much more in tune with their finances today and want to learn more. This show is a perfect example, but they have a lack of access. They can't get into those. And so specifically what you get at least on a platform like Yield Street, is most of our products are debt or debt-like products. And so you're not going to see the same volatility that you see in the markets. You're not going to see prices fluctuating up and down. 
you're generally going to see interest rates or consistent returns. So if you're going to get paid X percent a year, you'll get that monthly or quarterly. So you're generating passive income with lower correlation and lower volatility. Mm -hmm. That helps you plan better and it creates real moments of joy for you. That's the answer for me, by the way, Michael, I think is the lower correlation, lower volatility piece. Because from where I sit, you know, when I was a financial planner, people thought a lot about return, the average person out there, but they didn't think a lot about standard deviation or to put it in, in even more layman's terms, the amount of bounce you'll have in your portfolio because of the fact that everything's kind of vanilla, right? Everything's moving the same way. I think the other side is, I, I completely agree with that. And I think portfolio diversification and correlation are big components of a healthy portfolio. I think the boring conversation, which we don't have to have, but the valuable one is like the power of compounding over time. Yeah. And so if you can identify investment opportunities that are structured as debt or otherwise to give you consistency in that passive income, that's going to be really, really powerful for you. But the other side that you know my partner Malin loves to talk about is he always says that your experience with money is you get your one direct deposit you know, from your salary every two weeks or so, and then everything else is money out, right? Your bills, your vacations, your groceries, whatever it is. Even in your trading accounts, you're seeing the fluctuations, but you don't have that moment of joy. With Yield Street opportunities, you're getting that distribution, whether it's monthly or quarterly or weekly, whatever the case is. And it creates these real moments of joys where our investors actually love to invest and they love to come back and they love to look at new opportunities and they feel good about making the, those decisions and understanding what they're invested in and becoming more and more active in their portfolio. That's interesting. Like proof positive leads you to do more things. It's it's like a basic teaching concept. I want to dive into the product though, Michael. So if I go to yieldstreet.com, uh, let's just start there. What do I see and what do I get? What happens? So if you go to yieldstreet.com, I think you're going to feel that you just landed on a modern, digitally native, beautiful site that's really going to help you learn about these investments. That's going to position you to make a knowledge-based decision. There's a lot of material there around education, around helping you understand what we do, but also broadly the investing market. We're a huge, huge supporter of the notion that you need to understand what you invest in. And if you don't, wait to the next deal. So that's a big focus of ours is education. The second is you're going to be able to see the different types of investment opportunities that we currently have available, but also the ones that we've done in the past. And it will give you a flavor of what our performance has been, what types of investments, how long they've been, what those return profiles are. You'll be able to learn about the asset class heads, so the people behind and the teams behind, whether it be real estate or private business credit or art, et cetera. And you'll be able to immediately sign up, learn to fund your account and make investments pretty quickly. And the beauty of our platform is that we've pretty much automated the entire experience. So if you went on, you signed up, you went through the onboarding, which is fairly easy and quick. You funded your account. You picked an investment. We'll ACH it right out. We'll get your investment going. When distributions start to come back in, they'll automatically go to your wallet. When it becomes tax season, we'll auto-generate those documents for you. When you're looking for updates on the performance of your investments, they'll automatically be dripped into your portfolio. If you look at our website and compound that with our app, 
I think what people realize is, hey, this is 2021, how money should really work for me. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the app because it looks like I can just follow right along on my phone. I know that um, there's individual offerings, there's fund offerings. I want to ask about the difference of those two things that I see on your website. But before we get to that, can I use IRA money and non-IRA money or is this mostly non-IRA money? I'll tell you what even better, Joe. We're huge believers in IRA, but we also understand how frustrating rollovers are and transfer of IRA. We went out and bought in IRA business. And the whole notion of that was to streamline the process and make it easier for people. So we brought down average conversion from 40 days to six days. What, six so days? You, really? Six days. Yep. That's what we do, man. We make things easy and enjoyable and a beautiful experience. And we make you want to enjoy investing. Yeah. Six days. Sorry. Just when I was a financial planner, it's been a little while, but you know, it was always a pain in the ass. We had to follow up on it 40 times. There was always some signature, some piece of paperwork that wasn't, wasn't done right. That's, that's incredible. Let's talk about- Dude, the, you know what the estimates are and how much cash is sitting in IRAs uninvested because oh, it's too much of a pain? I can't imagine. Just uh, uh, crap loads. I think ballpark numbers are on 20 trillion right now. Oh Lord. It's, it's, it's sickening, right? Cause like this is money that can help people get ahead and build a strong financial future. Let's talk about the difference. I see at the bottom, it says individual offerings and fund offerings. What are those two things, Michael? Sure. So different people want to invest differently, right? Some people want to be super passive. So they want to say, Hey, here's how much capital I have. I want to have a diversified portfolio and I want to be passive, right? And so you have something called the yield street prison fund. It's a 40 act fund. It's open to accredited and non-accredited investors. It has co-investment rights with Yield Street. So it has the opportunity to have pieces of each asset class within that fund. So it gives people the opportunity to have a fixed distribution rate where they know they're getting a certain payment every quarter. It gives them the opportunity to invest in a fund that is going to be comprised of multiple positions. That's one. Two is some people may say, hey, I really like legal finance or real estate. So we may have a legal finance fund or a real estate fund that's comprised of one or more positions in that asset class. And then the last is individual investment opportunities. Joe might say, I have X dollars to work with. I'm going to build a portfolio over the next few weeks or a few months or a few years by taking and picking the deals that I want to be in. So we're really flexible in enabling you to have what we call self-driving money, super passive on one end, all the way down to individual options for, for individual deals. On the app front, you, we mentioned that you can follow this on your phone, available both on Google platform and uh, iOS. Yep. And primarily that's how I interact from my perspective. So my PA and the way I use Yield Street for the most part is on my app. Nice. Even these little moments of joy, like getting a pop-up of a notification, hey, Michael, you just got $462.50 or whatever it is on Art Portfolio One. Like that's just, that's an awesome moment. You're at a bar. Or, I mean, today you're not at a bar, but right. <laughs> you're at home, you're doing your thing and you realize that your money is working for you when you're sleeping, when you're working, whatever you're doing. And um, it's just, it's super powerful to realize that and to realize the potential. Better than finding a $10 bill in your jeans. I'll take my, my notifications all day. <laughs> right. Well, and a question there as an example. So I see that 400 bucks come around. Can I automatically then reinvest that? 
So in certain products you can, like in the, in the prison fund and yield street prison fund, we have a drip program, a dividend reinvestment. And so you absolutely can in certain cases. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The next question I have, you know, Michael, because you've listened to the show and you know then that you're one of two people that listen to this. Nobody listens to our show. So this is definitely a safe place. It's just you and me, pal. Anything you guys are working on that you would tell nobody else that you can tell the two of us that, you know, are just sitting here casually talking about Yield Street? Well, if everybody promises not to say anything, then maybe I could tell you something. Oh, d- deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll give you one giving you a sort of a view into how I think about things here at Yield Street, you know, my role in part is the chief investment officer. And so I'm constantly thinking about what is the right way to construct the portfolio? What are the right investment opportunities to bring forth to retail? Candidly, like, what do I want to see in my portfolio? Right. And what do I think you should see in your portfolio? And I, I really split the way I think about that into two major categories. So one is income. And a lot of what you've seen us do here at Yield Street is about debt products generating consistency or some level of consistency in interest payment, whether it be monthly or quarterly. And the other side is asset appreciation, right? I want retail to be a part of the story of growth. And if you think about that, let's talk about COVID for a minute, right? So COVID has had a huge, huge impact on certain businesses. And so I'm asking myself, which businesses have been impacted most, right? So the obvious answers are like aviation, hotels, hospitality, nightlife, and the list goes on. And then I say to myself, okay, what has changed fundamentally? So I'll give you an example like for aviation. I think, and I believe firmly, that aviation is going to roar back and we're going to break records of pre-COVID. Now, whether that happens in 22 or 23 is a question mark. But I know I want to be part of that story. And so you, there's significant distress in that market. There are incredibly professional investors who have long-term track records. I want to be able to take Yield Street and go to those managers and say, hey, I want to invest in your fund. I want to invest in these opportunities. And I want to be part of that growth story. And I want retail to be part of that growth story. Because for far too long, only the biggest hedge funds and wealthiest families have been able to participate on the rebuilding of America, right? Who really made all the money coming out of the last recession. It wasn't the little guy. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. It was Goldman and KKR and all these amazing funds. And kudos to them. It's great. But now's our time. And we could be a part of that. And so the next big thing that you're going to see here at Yield Street is Yield Street continuing to launch new funds where we're going to go out and find what we think are the best opportunities that we want to invest in and then give you the opportunity to join Yield Street. That's exciting. But I can't imagine, Michael, just the work that goes into that. We work hard, man, but I love it. Like I, uh, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Like I gotta tell you, like I have more fun here at Yield Street than I've ever had anywhere else. That's what I was just thinking. I wish you were more passionate. I really do. Uh, it's Yield Street. We'll link to it on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Michael, thanks a ton for hanging out with us and talking alternative investments. I really appreciate it. Joe, thanks for having me and I look forward to being back soon. Hey there, small-town-loving stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and as you probably know, millions of fans love our little town of Texarkana. Sorry, gorgeous Texarkana because of our incredibly huge list of fine dining establishments. There's, There's too many to list right now, but one that I can highly recommend is an option right off historic I-30 called uh, the, I think I'm pronouncing this right, the Olive Garden. It's this beautiful, 
Tuscan countryside themed place with an amazing wine menu and authentic Texarkana college age kids working there to pull the whole Southern charm meets Italian villa just brings it all together. And when you go, you got to try out any of the authentic dishes, like uh, like their meatballs that taste just like the ones Joe's mom makes with ragu right out of the jar. Or, or take the Tour of Italy sampler platter. Venice, Rome, and Florence, I'm sure all from your booth in down-home Texarkana, Texas. This restaurant has done so well, turns out they've apparently expanded across the U.S., so how about this Texarkana-based trivia? How many Olive Garden restaurants are there outside of the original one here in Texarkana? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can order from Uber Eats. Something else you can do here in Texarkana. I'm telling you, we got it all. It is a hopping establishment right off historic I-30. We, for those of you who are new to this show, are doing a year-long trivia competition between our three contestants here. And man, we got a barn burner. It is uh, Mr. Penzo with two. A couple weeks ago, OG pulled into a tie with two. And then last week, Paula Pant, early in the year, ties it up. Not sure what that's all about, but we got a three-way tie. So a little bit of extra pressure here. But we will go in order of... Who got there first to last, which means that Paula's going to go last. OG is going to go in the middle. Mr. Penzo. Again, setting the bar. The Italian guy. Well, you. Holy well, smokes. I mean, the Olive Garden. We're talking about your home home base here. I guess so. I, I mean, geez, I, you know what? Um, I got to have Doug come over and try some of my lasagna. You've had my lasagna. Your lasagna is amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, we'll have to have him over for that. I gotta say, the way that that cheese just does not—the cheese does not want to cut. It's incredible. Okay, what is there? Let's did see. you think I was making How a many? cut the cheese joke just then? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even going there. I, Joe. I didn't even think about it until you started laughing. Uh, all right, so let's see. Uh, Olive Gardens in—is this the continental United States? Yes, sir. Or the, uh, I think it's just all the U.S. All the U.S. Okay. Hmm. Well, I have no freaking clue. I'll just take a stab here. Oh, there's 50 states. Let's say an average of. Well, let me pick a small state like a like a Rhode Island would probably only have two or three, but a big state like Texas would have four or five. Yeah, <laughs> I'll bet you Texas has like a hundred. We'll say so. I'll say. Uh, I'm going to say an average of 30 per state. No, that's probably light. No, let's say, go with that. 30 per state. So 50 states times 30 is what? 1,500. 1,500. But so minus the the original one, apparent according to Doug in Texarkana. So is, this, is it 1499? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, 1499. 1499. All right, OG. I'm really going to be mad, Joe. <laughs> I talked you out of the last one. <laughs> How many Olive Gardens are there? I, th I think that the number is higher than 1,500. I believe just here, just over there in that other big city, just uh, west of here, I mean, uh, there's there's got to be 10 or 15 just in the Metroplex. Oh, you're kidding. Is that and true? Oh, my God. I, I don't know. I'm just, they kind of feel like they're everywhere. 
there's at least as many Olive Gardens as there are McDonald's, right? I don't, I don't have any freaking idea. I'm just kidding. Um, let's go with a slightly higher number. I'm going to say, uh, he said 1499. I'm going to say, uh, 2,678. And that doesn't include the one here in Texarkana. Correct. All right. Paula. I mean, ultimately the choice that I have is, do I think that. Here we go. Every time. I'll cut to the chase. Uh, OG, your guess was 2,678. Is that correct? Yes. Can't remember. (laughs) 2,679. You think there's also more. I'm just going to capture the upside. Going for the upside. All right. There's 10 of them just in the Metroplex area. That's, yeah, you probably won, Paula. I, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I feel like there might be 10, but I'm not sure. Well, as you guys know, we'd love to tell you, but uh, we can't do it right now. So we'll be, we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Len, it looks like you are way low compared to the other two at fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm after after OG uh, said what he said. I'm I'm not feeling very good about this one. OG, you got the middle ground from roughly what two thousand to twenty six hundred. So for the record, there's twenty two in the Metroplex. There are. Oh, oh my God, are you kidding? Holy, look at that! Jeez. So so Paula's grinning, so she must know the Olive Garden. You're a big fan of the Olive Garden, Paula. You know. In my early 20s, yeah, I, I would say that I was. I don't think I've been there since then. 
Yes. Uh, if you would like our team to go more off in Olive Garden, you know where to find me, Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. We could uh, t- do Olive Garden. I love Olive Garden breadsticks. Could do the trivia all the time. All right. Oh, you can eat soup and salad. Let's see who our winner is, Doug. Hey, stackers. I'm your Texarkana tour guide, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And here to tell you more about this lovable southern city than you you ever really cared to know. Here's a few more facts to get you up to speed on our quaint town. Population of Texarkana, Texas, 36,688. And that's if we only count Joe's moms once. But over 25,000 more people live in Texarkana, Arkansas, which is right across a street named Stateline Road. I wonder how they came up with the name of that street. Probably multiple caffeine-fueled planning meetings went into that one. Oh, here's another one. The town got its name for being close to the state line of Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana. Uh, Here's another one. The historic Sanger Theater downtown fell into disrepair but was saved and restored and then renamed the Perot Theater in 1982 by the guy who saved it. Duh, H. Ross Perot. That dude's a native of Texarkana and a former presidential candidate. Uh, He requested it be named after his parents after he gifted it to the city. What? That's enough. Okay. Okay. I guess Joe's mom said that's enough facts for now. Tex, the president of the Chamber of Commerce, just drove off, so we don't have to kiss that guy's ass anymore. So let's get back to today's trivia question. Question was, how many Olive Garden restaurants are there outside of Texarkana? Here we go. The total number of restaurants is 867, minus what I'm sure was the original one here, our local favorite, which means the correct answer is 866. Hmm? Hmm? See? This idea is growing like a weed. Now it's time to go get me some of those delicious, authentic breadsticks. See ya! Whoa! Wow. All must be in Texas. And, and 20 of them are just over in uh, OG's neck of the woods. Very good. If you want to yeah. be surrounded by Olive Garden, apparently be in the Dallas <laughs> that's, area. That's, that's, Holy that's smokes. why it feels like they're everywhere. It's <laughs> because they literally are everywhere here. OG's there. like, I can't breathe. There's too many Olive Gardens around me. I, know. I just looked. There's like another 25 of them in Houston. So between Houston that, and Dallas. Crazy. You're just that's in, crazy. You're just in love with Olive Garden. And Len retakes the lead. Retakes the lead. Paul is looking well, I pretty. I was going to continue setting the bar for you guys. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Paul's looking pretty casual. It, it was weird for her to be that close to the, the lead. I know. I'm not used to being tied for lead. So <laughs> she's like, "I'm sorry, I panicked." Right. <laughs> hey, let's take out the magnifying glass, guys, and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of MagnifyMoney.com. When you go to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash MagnifyMoney, Len, you know what you find. Yeah, you find a great way to increase your your returns on your savings account. You can magnify those savings by by magnitudes. It's awesome. All the savings account options, 92% of them, checking accounts, the different debt consolidation products all available, magnifymoney.com, all ranked against each other, stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney. Nice job, man. It's like you've been on this show once or twice. Yeah, I think I've heard that a few times. (laughs) Maybe. And uh, today we're going to help. Who are we going to help? We're going to help Kevin magnify his money. Say hi, Kevin. Hey, Doug and uh, Joe G. Long-time listener here. Hopefully a first-time learner. 
got some good news and some bad news with two questions because it's cold up here and I assume each one qualifies for a t-shirt. First, the bad news. My dad passed away in November and left behind many thousands of dollars in credit card debt. I was not an authorized user or a joint account holder on any of these cards, and there are no assets in the estate after paying for cremation. I've heard horror stories of credit card companies hounding families to repay unsecured debts like this, and I wanted to know if you have any advice for dealing with them when they do come knocking. Now the good news. After paying off our student loans, my wife and I want to be the cool aunt and uncle and cover our three-year-old nephew's college or career prep costs. We've funded a 529 plan that now has about 25000 in 100% equities, and we plan to contribute three to 5000 per year and let compounding work, work its magic over the next 15 years. I think this is pretty awesome, but we've heard concerns that Junior won't work so hard if he knows his college is paid for. Have you heard anything like this in your planning businesses? And what are some of the best ways you've seen families manage this kind of situation? So Junior is not perceived as just getting a free ride. Tell Gertrude I'll take a large for inside the jacket and an XL for the outside. Long sleeve if you got him. Thanks. <laughs> it's the special order for Kevin. Uh, Kevin, I'm sorry to hear about your dad and thanks for the question. And let's just get rid of the credit card debt one right away. And um, you guys should all weigh in, I think, on the, uh, the one about um, making sure the kids don't become people not, not striving, but OG, uh, what do you do? The, the credit card debt is, is Kevin at all on the hook for that? Well, most decidedly, no, of course not. Uh, I wouldn't do anything. I mean, it's not, there's nothing to do. If, if you happen to answer the phone when they call, if you had your dad's phone number somehow forwarded to your phone number, then you could explain it to them and just say, Hey, this is what's going on, but you don't owe Visa or Discover or American Express, any sort of conversation, nor do you have to do anything with it. If you felt like being proactive, I suppose you could uh, contact them individually and say, hey, this, you know, I saw a bill come through and let me let you know what's going on. But that would be about the level of my benevolence with American Express or Visa in terms of communicating with them personally. Let's go on to the second half of this then. I love this idea, Kevin, of being a cool aunt and uncle, uh, putting money into kids' college funds. I don't know where Kevin was when my kids went through school, but whatever. Like your favorite podcaster, you could have done that for us. Got to just be the <laughs> aunt and uncle. Uh, let's start, Len, with you. First of all, you heard stories about kids that knew they had a bunch of money and so they they didn't do anything or Anything more than what you hear? I mean, I think we all hear this on the news, right? We hear it kind of colloquially, but do you know any stories personally about that? No, nothing personally, but I, that, that's, I would never tell my kids, you know, about, you know, what they're going to get down the road for, you know, for anything like that, any kind of, even if it's, you know, inheritance or if it's college, you know, for a five, five, two, nine that you're saving for them. I, I wouldn't even mention that kind of stuff because it can be a disincentive. I mean, we're that's just human nature for a lot of people. You know, if you know you're going to get something basically for nothing, uh, you might not work as hard. So and, you, know, you might just get a, a lack, lackadaisical in your attitude. So I would never even bring that up, you know, maybe to the parents, make sure you tell the parents that you're going to give that uh, you're going to make those contributions to swear them to secrecy so they don't don't let the kids know. 
Paula? Well, so I'll, I'll tell you what I'm doing. So myself and my parents, we have a family foundation and we have been supporting five orphaned children in Kathmandu. Uh, we've been putting them through boarding school. Um, so we pick them out at the age of five and we made the commitment to support them until they finish the Nepalese equivalent of high school. So they from age five to age 18. Well, they're all or three out of five of them are now aging out of that, that, you know, they've all turned 18. They finished their 12th grade. It's called 10 plus two. Uh, so they finished the equivalent of 12th grade. Two of them have not indicated any interest in going to college or any interest in moving to an English speaking nation. And one of them uh, has, one of them is very enthusiastic about it. He's shown immense promise. He has, in fact, my dad just texted me a copy of his report card, like a screenshot of his report card. I mean, this guy, he's taking chemistry, physics, math. He's taking all the hard courses and it's straight A's all across, A pluses in his labs. Wow. He's just a very, very impressive kid. He did get a B plus in um, in one of his classes. And my dad did that like that that thing of call, literally calling him and being like, what's with the B plus? Really? My dad, really? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what we have told him you know, our, our approach to this has been essentially a conditional promise. We've said, your job is to get straight A's. And if you can do that, then our job is to pay for you to go to school. And so, well, we, in, in our case, we require him to major in a STEM field, which he wants to do anyway. We're like, we're, we're not going to pay for you to go be, you know, an English major, no offense to English majors. I, I was a liberal arts major, but, um, you know, if if you want to go to college and major in a STEM field, and if you maintain straight A's, we will cover that. But if your grades drop, then we're out. So, and and I mean, this kid is, he's an orphan. He Both of his parents died when he was under the age of five. Um, he, at 18 now, he's aged out of the orphanage system. So he really has, you know, he knows that this is his shot and he's all in. So we've just made it clear to him, like, as long as you maintain straight A's. It has to be straight A's, not B's. Yeah. We have seen him have a history of, have, of having straight A's up through this point. So we know that he can do it. And we're totally good with applying that pressure. You know, he knows that this is his chance. and that if Is that in college, it, Paula? Is that in college? Yeah. Well, so hmm. right now he's just finished his 10 plus two, which is the equivalent of 12th grade. So, yeah. So throughout high school, he has maintained straight A's. Yeah, but I mean, you're, main, you're you're keeping the straight A stipulation through college is what I'm hearing. We are. I mean, and there's there's a difference between like, you know, will we actually enforce it? A lot of that is going to be subjective and it's going to be based on the amount of effort that we think that he's putting in. But he'll probably I'm sure he'll be OK, but I'll just give you my recommendation, just mine, and you can take it for what it's worth. There's enough stress already is if you're if he's going to say go for an engineering degree or any STEM Computer degree. science. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, that'll just be one more thing. He's going to have to worry about the straight A's. I mean, there's no shame in a B in a STEM right. field. So getting, so just, uh, that's just my two cents. Cause I can tell you what, i certainly would have dis, I would have been disqualified from your offer. <laughs> my first quarter. <laughs> well, right. And I'm always, and I'm also thinking about one of the classes I learned the most from in college. It was a fit. Now I was an English major, so this is a whole different thing, but this was an incredible class with a great professor. And I remember opening up my report card back when you mm -hmm. got the report card in the mail mm -hmm. and just 
wanting to go partying because I got a C plus. Right. I was so, and 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 there were other courses where I got a I got you know mostly A's and this particular professor graded so difficult but I learned more from him than anybody else. I mean, do you think he right. gamed the system to keep up with A's? Well, here's the here's the deal. If he's going to have a a shot at a really good future, he's going to have to come to an English speaking country for grad school, Uh, either U.S., Canada, England, Australia, New Zealand. He's going to have to move to one of those five for him to get into grad school. He's going to need a solid GPA because there are so many Nepalese students competing for that. Right. So what we're really trying to impress upon him is the only way that your best shot of getting uh, a work visa in an English-speaking nation is to come here on a student visa. Your best shot of coming here on a student visa is by getting admitted to a good grad school. And your best shot at getting admitted to a good grad school is getting as close to a 4.0 as you can through college. And unfortunately, when you are an orphan in, in Kathmandu, Nepal, you don't have the luxury of having a U.S. citizenship but, right? Yeah. so that you can like learn for the sake of learning. That's just, that's something that is sort of a a rich people luxury. I had a client when I was an advisor that did a reimbursement system. And Mm -hmm. if you got an A or a B in his case with his kids, he Mm -hmm. would reimburse you, but also the, the amount of living expenses as well at the next semester's rate. So in other words, if the semester price went up, if the room and board went up, he would pay for all that for the next semester, but it was compensating you for the semester before. And then Mm -hmm. at the end, the cool thing is when you graduated, when you graduated, you would get then, if you got A's and B's then too, you would get a graduation gift, which was that first semester's money, right? Where you Mm -hmm. had to, so during high school, he helped them learn how to get jobs and pay for one semester. And then Mm -hmm. he, he would do this reimbursement. And I asked Tim, uh, why he did that. And he said, because I, I don't want to be the dad. And this sounds like where Kevin's coming from. I don't want to be the dad whose kid is like pumping the keg going, yeah, my dad's such a jerk, you know? Um, mm. and just, uh, he's paying for keg parties or whatever it might be. And, and, and now some people struggle. I know that wouldn't work with everybody's kid. Um, mm-hmm. but I think Paula, like for you, that's a similar situation. Yeah. Um, OG, what do you think? I would, under no circumstances, tell the kid or the parents that the money exists uh, for all those reasons that you talked about. Like the whole people are just going to be unmotivated with the information. And you wouldn't and put would, a you wouldn't put carrots on it like Paul is talking about. No, because it's not your kid. I mean, so so just kind of think about think through all the possible outcomes of this. So let's say that. The mom and dad, so maybe they aren't able to save a ton of money, right? So they're going, you know, your job then in that situation, if you want to be the cool aunt and uncle, is to like go, hey, you got to get good grades. Like Paul is saying, you got to apply for that scholarship. You got to get those grants. You got to go to the college that makes the most sense. You're not going to like stupid college and getting, you know, up to your eyeballs in debt. Like, let's be smart about it. You know, all those things. And then you come in in the last minute and go, and oh, by the way, it's paid for they do all of their stuff, right? Or if their mom and dad are able to pay for all of the college and let's say that they're great parents and they're able to save a ton of money and, and they go, Oh, we're so excited. We paid for junior to go to Harvard. You can go, awesome. That's really great. Now you have an opportunity to take that money and use it for something else. You know, another school, another education program for maybe another niece or nephew or grand nieces and nephews or whatever. I'd say your grandkids, but maybe that's the point of this is that you don't have your own, but 
you know, so there's all sorts of different things that can come out of it. Just human nature is to suggest a easier path means that they'll let off the gas. And if you can come in and solve the problem at the very end, uh, my wife and I have done this with our nieces and nephews. We've money set aside for them. We've never told them a single thing about it. And I'm talking to my nephew who's 18 right now and he's talking about different colleges and he's getting award letters and grants and financial aid. And we're talking about all the different options that he can go through and trying to make a good decision with that. And then we've got some money set aside for it. I'm not going to let him say like, oh, since Uncle OG's paying for it, I can go to this really cool school that costs too much that I probably shouldn't go to because, you know, it's a private school and I just want to party, you know, like, like you were saying. Instead, let's have him figure it out and then we can help him with the room and board or the books or whatever. So anyway, my two cents on it. Well, there you have it, Kevin. That's our team's thoughts. If you've got a question for us, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And we're happy to answer your question as well. And as Kevin intimated, we will also send you a code. You don't even have to tell us what size shirt you want. You can pick your own size when you go to the site. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. All right. That's going to do it for today, kids. Uh, Let's see what's happening it's always so fun finding out what's happening where our team lives. Uh, OG, what do you got going on this weekend, my friend? Uh, absolutely nothing going on this weekend oh. with the the shorter weekend of, or shorter week work week. Uh, a little stressed out because there's a little bit more work to do with the with the Monday off. Kids at school next week. Kids have their like annual testing thing, so it's kind of try to keep everything pretty low key around here. We even do their chores for them so they can talking about making sure they get good grades, Paula. Uh, <laughs> Good grade time, so we make things very copacetic in the OG household. Don't worry. The week after that, we put them right back to yard work. (laughs) (laughs) Len, what's happening at LenPenzo.com? We've got, of course, our usual Saturday doom and gloom report. You can come on by for that and see just uh, how how just how bad terrible, it is, uh, how bad it is, and why why Len lives in a bunker. But uh, at LenPenzo.com, also, I did a little self reflection. Uh, you know, everybody always can. I, if I asked you what's the best things you ever bought in your life, I'm sure everybody can come up with a, with a few things right off the top. But how many things of the worst things that you ever bought? Did, oh, you know. So I went through and I picked my top ten in my long life items that were just the worst things I've ever bought in my life. So yes, it's hard hitting journalism, personal finance at lenpenso.com. Stop on by. I think there's a I think there's a podcast episode there too, though, Len. <laughs> I think there's, I mean, I think we've all done that before, right? Have you, have you ever either left an event or bought something and a week later went, yeah, that totally wasn't worth it. Yeah. Well, I came up with 10 of them and they're doozies. That's, that's great stuff. Paula, last but not least, what's going on at the afford anything podcast. On the afford anything podcast. There is this wacky dude by the name of Joe Saul Shut the front door. It's true. It's totally true. And he joins me on every other episode ish to answer questions. And so if you want to, if you want to hear the brainiac side of Joe, um, the, the, the side of Joe that knows something about finances, you can find that Joe on the afford anything podcast, which that's Paula getting back at me for what I said about her on her show. 
I'm like, if you want to hear Paula where she's not like going 18 levels deep with your question, <laughs> come on over to Stacky Benjamins. That's pretty damn good. Touche, Paula. Touche. All right. That's going to do it from, that's going to do it from the basement. Uh, Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable. Just because you move from a big city to a small town, that doesn't mean your cost of living will go way down. There are unique costs associated with each place you choose to live. Second, take a lesson from our Friday FinTech. Technology is bringing opportunities that used to be reserved for the wealthy and well-connected to the masses. But the big lesson... Small town living is great and all, but even small towns have big politics. Kowtowing to that Chamber of Commerce guy? God, it's a jungle out there, stackers. Thanks to our roundtable for joining us. You can hear more from Paula Pant by tuning into the Afford Anything podcast. Check out Len Penzo by heading to lenpenzo.com. And to learn more about Yield Street, you can head to our show notes page or simply go to yieldstreet.com. Special thanks to Devin Carroll for playing a part that you might have caught over the last couple of days. But we can't say which one. He's not only an actor on our show, but he's also one of the most respected people when talking Social Security. Check out Devin on YouTube. And we'll also link to it on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahide, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes, not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. So you uh, just want to do the after show right now? Yes. We'll do the after show before the show? Yes. It'll be like before show, but we'll put it after? The pre-after the pre after show? We're talking about the football game, uh, the big game that was a couple of Sundays ago. The one Paula uh, which, can't quit talking about, that one. She was on Twitter. I saw her. Yeah. All, all up in the tweets on the, totally. on the, the foosball game. Totally. I was, uh, we were having a Super Bowl party, or as we like to call them, a super spreader event. And... <laughs> Uh, 
all with people that have already had COVID. So we felt pretty, pretty <laughs> we've, we've, you had to, <laughs> different than people that have had like their vaccine. You had to prove that you've already been there, done that. I know we all took our positive tests and we yes. were like, okay, but I made an executive decision about six 30 midway through the first quarter. I uh, texted up my team and I said, effective immediately. Super Bowl Monday is a floating holiday. I'll see <laughs> yeah. you guys on Tuesday. So that was kind of fun. But my brother is a degenerate gambler, steak brother, and he may or may not hear this, but he is a degenerate gambler for sure. And he texted me before the game and the state where he lives, they can do online gambling on your phone, which seems to me a be to be about the worst thing imaginable for people like him just well for me frankly yes i was gonna say for most people oh i can get it on my phone i I can lose all my money quickly deal so check this out he texts me he goes hey i'm gonna do this parlay or a four thing parlay four bet parlay the odds were five thousand seven hundred and one to one here are the here are the four things you had to make the decision before the game number one gronk is gonna score a touchdown I felt that that felt like a pretty decent. That's check. That's a check. Yeah, he did that. I, I he felt did. like I would check. check. That. I go, yeah, it's sure. That's yeah. check. And he did. And because this is a parlay, right? So you got to get all these. And right. Antonio Brown would score a touchdown. He did. I know in retrospect, Len, you got to go back in time, buddy. <laughs> this one's easy to do. Well, I'm, just helping the, I'm just helping everybody keep track in yes. case they didn't remember. Okay, right. Yes, so we we've did. got check, two checks. So, so two AB. Checks. So, so you got to have Gronk and AB. So now you can, okay. Right. If it's a close score, if it's a low scoring game, you know, who knows? Right. Number three, Gronk's got to go for over 30 yards receiving. Okay. Did he? Oh, yeah, he did. Easily. Okay. And number four, Leonard Fournette has to score a touchdown. So all of those four things have to happen. You put 500 bucks in, the payout was $25,500. Mm hmm. So I text my brother. You'll never do it because you're a giant explicative. And then a minute later, I said, but actually, if you do, I'm in for half. $250. I, you know, hey, so you do it. So we went back and forth. Text, 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 text. I get, by the way, just as a stop on this story for a second, I go near like a nickel slot machine. I start shaking. I'm like, that's good <laughs> money. I could waste on something else. Yeah. So, so immediately we're watching, we're sitting down, watching the ball game. Gronk scores a touchdown, like first series. You go, oh, well, you got one of those parlays, check. Or maybe the second series, like they pun maybe the first one. But anyways, you go, hmm, okay. And then he starts getting more passes and more passes and more. You're like, well, he's at the 30-yard mark. That was easy. Second check. Then late in the first half, they, they, they get that questionable pass interference call in the end zone. He runs a slant route. Antonio Brown scores a touchdown, check. So now you're thinking, ooh. I wonder if this is actually going to pay off. Yeah, but Leonard Fournette, he's kind of a third down back. You know, if he's going to score a touchdown, it's going to be on like a third and goal from the half. We've already seen them earlier in the game go for it on yeah, goal to go. They Somebody it. got stuffed. stuffed yeah. yeah. And then moving through the third quarter, he takes a handoff that's, you know, to the right side of the line and goes just a stretch 28 yard run to the end zone, untouched, touchdown Leonard Fournette. I text my brother. I go, dude, 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 we won 25,000. He goes, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. DraftKings was down. I wasn't able to make the bet. Oh, my God, dude. And you know what? I was sitting in the fourth quarter of that game. I, I needed 
I needed six points from the uh, Chiefs and a missed conversion in the fourth quarter there, which was possible because I figured if they they did yeah. because it was garbage time. I figured yeah, they they'd go for the for two. two point. This was for two thousand dollars, and <sighs> they well didn't didn't work out. But anyways, wow, yours is even worse. Oh, Man, that's that horrible, sucks, dude. Horse oh, bet sucks. Horse betting for the win. <laughs> And I know we're going to wow. get a Joe's going to get an email. If you would have put that $250 in <laughs> and extrapolated that at the at your marginal tax rate for the next 37 years. Oh, well, I gave my son the chance. I said, hey, what do you think about this? My son was the wise one. My son goes, dad, no way. Like that's, there's a reason that you'd make so much money for that. That's, I don't have that kind of money to lose. I go, son, you're so responsible. I told my other son, he goes, yeah, dude, let's do it. Thank you. Mike, well, you're you're 12. You can't bet on mine. Yet. <laughs> no, wow. no, no. You got to wait till you're 14. Your mom says <laughs> exactly. Cool. All of that is exactly how that went down. Oh my! So God. that's how my game oh my went. God. I'd have been pissed. I'd have been so freaking pissed. I, was, I gave my brother every minute for the next. I, I haven't stopped. I'm like, how did you not call me? He's like, dude, why didn't you? Do? I was like, it's not legal in Texas. I'm glad I didn't put any money down because I thought Kansas City was going to kick their ass. I really did. I'm just shocked. <laughs> nope, dude. Don't argue with TB. Do you know it's, there's a better odds for Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl than for Steph Curry to make a three-pointer? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> really? Wow. Tom Brady has more yards and touchdowns in Super Bowls than the normal quarterbacks do in a regular season. Yeah. He has more Super Bowl rings than any franchise in NFL history. Yes. I, yeah, that, that's impressive. All right, let's do podcast. You ready to go? Are you done? Let's do it. All right. I was like, <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother in law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.